1998. I'm Mark Colley, your host, and as always, I'm joined by Bryson and Jacob. How are you guys? Now, before we get started, um, I just wanted to ask you guys, what is your hair situation like? <laughs> um, just because everything's closed, you know, my hair's starting to get, like, it's starting to really get out of hand and it's losing control. I don't know how your hair, uh, you know, your hair situation is. Uh, well, I normally, <laughs> I, I go, I'm a very normal guy, classic haircut. I have like the fade on the side mm-hmm. and then just like normal on the top. And I had my haircut in February and so far okay. so good, yeah. but I'm approaching the point. Yeah. I'm approaching the point where I'm going to need a ha- haircut. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm at the breaking point. Yeah. How about you, Jacob? <laughs> See, mine is, it's kind of lacking right now because... It's, what does that mean if it's lacking? I don't understand well, that. I don't It's like, so I got a haircut, I think, March the 12th, I think, <laughs> or the 11th, the day uh, when Trump declared the state of, or the emergency, mm-hmm. I actually got a haircut, like, earlier that day. Yeah. And <laughs> I haven't really, and I didn't cut the top of my hair at that point, so it's... Uh oh. Right yeah. Now. Alrighty. Well. Yeah. I just wanted yeah, to know I that. Yeah. All right. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Everyone knows my hairstyles now because I'm doing those weekly That's videos. Right. That's so right. Yeah. You can track Great it. Great idea, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. And for everyone listening, tune in. We're having another trivia night on Tuesday. Um. Yeah. So we have lots of stuff to talk about today. Surprisingly. Uh, the Red Sox punishment finally getting handed down on Alex Cora and a few other guys in the Red Sox organization. Um, MLB talking about a three-state plan now instead of just a two-state plan or a one-state plan. They just keep <laughs> adding states. Um, and then The Last Dance coming out on Netflix in Canada, on ESPN in the U.S. and elsewhere in the world. Um, and then the NFL draft kind of taking a new approach to everything and doing it with a live stream online and entirely virtual, and we'll be talking about that and how it impacts baseball. So, starting off, the Red Sox punishment. Um, this was the biggest news from the week, and it finally got handed down. Uh, everyone says that it is very light and way too light on the Red Sox after what we saw for the Houston Astros. Do you guys agree with that? Um, I mean, yeah, this was something that, you know, this is an investigation that was taken a lot longer than... Um, the Astros went in, and of course, you know, with everything that happened with COVID-19, um, it was delayed, the announcement. So, you know, we knew something was coming. We knew a similar punishment, or at least we thought a similar punishment was coming. And then the suspension for the, or the punishment for the Red Sox came out, and looking at it, it is completely, I w- you know, I wouldn't want to say it's different than the Astros one, but it's definitely at a less, less of a, it's definitely less of, uh, severe um, so the penalties include a loss of a 2020 second round draft pick. So uh, from what I remember, the Astros was the first rounder, but I believe it was the first rounder for the next three years or something like that. Um, or if correct me if I'm wrong after. And then the ban of a replay operator, JT Watkins, through 2020 and from doing the same job in 2021. And then the ban of Alex Cora through the 2020 playoffs. Um, but the thing, the thing that gets me the most is the ban of Alex Cora came did not come from any role with the Red Sox. It came solely with his role with the Astros, uh, which happened in 2017. And that is another shocking one for my part, or for my opinion, just because uh, if the Red Sox were supposedly cheating uh, during 2018, um, you know, it's pretty safe to assume that Alex Cora was heavily involved with it uh, because he was known to be one of the people who were, you know, involved with the Astros one. And who were kind of like leading it, him and Carlos Beltran were among the two. So when you look at it completely, if you want to compare it, um, the ban of replay operator JT Watkins, I don't remember any ban from a replay operator, anyone behind the scenes from Houston being suspended. It was just um, AJ Hinch and then um, Jeff Lunau, who was their their GM uh, for one year. So definitely a less severe punishment. And I don't really don't know, I don't really agree with it, but... I guess if you want to defend the punishment, um, we know that the Red Sox, or at least we think the think, uh, the Red Sox weren't cheating or was weren't cheating as severe as the Astros were. But of course, two wrongs don't make a right, and I don't understand if you set a precedent with banning the Astros, why aren't the Red Sox uh, being included in the same uh, type of punishment rather than being, you know, kind of like a knockoff punishment in my opinion. 
Uh, like the losing a 2020 second round draft pick, it's not a huge loss just because it's for one year. But yeah, definitely interesting how a replay operator got banned and Alex Cora was only banned for the Houston side of things. No, nothing to do with his behavior with Boston. See, I like how you actually just mentioned the precedent that was set because that's kind of my biggest issue with this whole thing because obviously with the Red Sox, it was a little less severe than the Astros. However, I still think setting or giving both of these teams such a small punishment for something that, for all we know, could have been the reason why they won a championship, I think really annoys me because... Right now, if I'm not saying any team's going to cheat, especially after what happened, but when you really think about it, if they were to get in trouble, it, there's not that much that would really be done to them just because of what's been going on with the minimal suspensions and the Astros paying, I think, $5 billion for it. So it's, just, it's really annoying me, honestly, that it's really just kind of been on the front office and some of the inner workings of the teams, like the managers and the, uh, the replay Operators, and I think honestly, the players need to forfeit some money too. Because if you are cheating, you know, at the end of the day, the players are the ones that are going to impact the game. And if you you know your manager can do whatever he wants, but if the players still allow this and allow the manager to control them while cheating, then they're probably as big as a problem as the manager, in my opinion. And I think honestly, what they should have done was force a lot of people whether it's players or anybody involved to forfeit at least half of their salary maybe that sounds a little harsh but i think for that year they had to forfeit a large sum of money in order to get this in people's heads that hey you cannot cheat and if you do well then you're going to pay for it literally but also in such huge ways because like i said right now not much has really been done. I mean, there's been some public shaming towards the Astros, not as much towards the Red Sox. Uh, I'm not saying I don't like the public shaming, but I think more needs to happen. Uh, and I think the, another issue was with, with the draft pick. The Red Sox only lost a second-round pick for this year, I believe. I think you should forfeit maybe everyone from that draft, or all your picks from that year. Because, again, the issue is, is this kind of the first... Uh, instance of this happening and in order to prevent it you need to have such severe punishments that it almost seems unreasonable in order to avoid other people from doing it because right now if you want to do it what's the worst thing that's going to happen you lose a bit of money you lose a couple draft picks and you get a world series we do pretty well for that season out of it yeah it was honestly there are two ways that i see this going down it's either well, man, uh, the the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred, said that the Red Sox kind of uh, system of sign stealing was quote far more limited in scope end quote than the Houston Astros, and that their system was really only in place with a runner on second base, and the kind of coding that they did behind the scenes to decode the signs was far more limited and and used less. That's what they're saying publicly. But there's one thing that I really want to pick up on. They've, they're really only banning J.T. Watkins, the video review guy, for the Red Sox. Like, either they're covering up the actual things that the Red Sox did, because there's no way a video review guy organized all of this. Like, he is not at fault. The directive must have come from someone higher up, and there must have been so many more people who knew about this than J.T. Watkins, the video review guy. Or, there was really no sign stealing at all and MLB really just wanted to look like they were doing something so they you know asked the 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 Red Sox okay who do you want us to ban and they said well this guy we don't care about him JT Watkins like for me it's either one or the other like there is no way that this played out as what we were being publicly told there's no way JT Watkins was the guy who was leading this illegal sign stealing scheme like he's like, no offense to him, but in, in this situation, he is kind of like a nobody. He doesn't really have any authority in the dugout. He's just a guy who makes a phone call. Like, I don't see him at fault here, and I think we're not getting the full story, whether it is a big part on the side of the Red Sox that we're not hearing about or absolutely nothing at all. I think that JT Watkins is totally not at fault. This is a really stupid punishment by Major League Baseball. Um, yeah, yeah, it's 
that we're not being told the full story. Yeah, there's there's something going on behind the scenes, and I think you said it best that there's a lot that we don't know about. And pretty much realistically, if you really wanted to think about it, uh, like you mentioned, J.T. Watkins is the only one who was punished. And of course, again, Alex Cora was only banned or suspended because of his Astros or what he the behavior when he was with Houston. So really, if you really mm-hmm. wanted to think about it, Boston can technically rehire him next year if they really wanted to. Now, obviously, it's unlikely, but I'm just saying, you know, pretty much with the with the uh, the punishment, Alex Cora technically could be rehired by the same team in Boston uh, next season. That's just pretty much showing how he is pretty much getting a. I, I would yeah, I would say it. he's getting away with this one. It at least with Boston, um, you know, he was I was probably properly punished with Houston, but the fact that they were clearly stating that his his punishment was only um, due to what he did with Houston, I think that's a little bit of a it's just it's a slap in the wrist in my opinion just because we all know that there's more to it and if he was leading the thing going on behind the scenes in Houston then you know something tells me he was also a huge part of it going on with Boston and with JT Watkins I have never even heard of the guy like you mentioned he is irrelevant in this point and he was the one or you know he was the one that took all of the punishment pretty much uh, all the punishment and it's the last thing we really predicted to happen and I was reading um, lots of fan reaction online and there is one guy in particular uh, who was so pissed off that he was claiming that baseball should be reinstating shoeless Joe Jackson and Buck Weaver uh, for what they did (laughs) in the 1919 World Series because of how soft this punishment is and pretty much how it's an insult to all baseball fans uh, because you know it's it's kind of showing that you know cheating in baseball or in this case like it, it gets to a World Series and it also comes with a light punishment, so you you know it's it's a bad look for the game because like what Jacob mentioned um, a few minutes ago, you need to you need to set a very heavy uh, precedent so this doesn't happen again. And I'm, of course, you can't avoid cheating; it's always going to happen, especially with technology. It's going to get more and more in common behind the scenes. Like there's tons of cheating we know about that, or we don't know about that happens, but at least for the parts that get caught, there needs to be serious repercussions. And of course, the Astros suspension, in my opinion was good, maybe not good enough, but I, I would take it. But if, but once this Red Sox thing came out, this was just a complete insult to baseball fans. And this is something that we've been waiting for and being anxious for because we knew it was coming and we wanted to see all the suspensions and all to wait uh, due to what's going on with COVID-19 to see um, this type of suspension come out. It's, it's you know, I'm, it's not very, I'm not very happy about it, but it's something and I guess, you know, it's, it's time to move past it, even though we never will move past it, especially Houston. And I'm still waiting for that day when Houston rolls into Yankee stadium, because it's going to happen regardless if it's this year <laughs> or 2021, it's going to happen and it's going to get really ugly. See, one of the things that I am kind of happy about is all of the public shaming that is going on for these two teams. Now, personally, I don't think that that can, uh, I don't think that that can, uh, make up for a lack of punishment from the league. But I think, in a way, the people can kind of let the, the teams know how they feel about it. And we saw during spring training, everybody was saying, oh, when are th- these players going to get hit or thrown at and get hit? And everybody's just booing them. And I think that is honestly the going to be the biggest punishment. In my opinion, I don't think that the league got any of these decisions right. So I think, you know... Like you said, what Bryson? Whenever baseball does happen, I think the players and everybody involved in these two teams' cheating scandals, I think that they will see the brunt of their punishment once baseball actually resumes and people are able to say, "Hey, you know what? You were wrong. You were awful, and we hate you for it." Mm-hmm. Um, although in this situation, I do think the Red Sox are getting off easy, or pretty much getting away with it. Um, although, as I did said early, say earlier, like. Either they didn't cheat at all, which we know they cheated at least a tiny bit, um, or they cheated a bunch and we just aren't hearing the full story. But I think regardless, they are getting away with it, not just from the perspective of their punishment, which again, they only have one second round pick taken away from them, and then uh, one-year bans for Cora and, as we mentioned, JT Watkins, compared to the Astros, who had four picks taken away from them, a $5 million um, uh, fine for the team, which again, doesn't sound 
sound like a lot, but it's the largest fine allowable um, under uh, under the uh, the commissioner's office. And then uh, bans for Lunau and uh, AJ Hinch. So comparing those, obviously the Red Sox is getting off easy, but just in the terms of public opinion, they're getting off super easy as well. Everyone's attention. Regardless of what it is now, um, there's a little fervor over, you know, the Red Sox punishment getting off easy, but nowhere near the kind of attention that the Astros were getting when their punishment was announced and when we were first learning of their their sign-stealing scheme. So the Red Sox are really getting off easy here. I'm not sure if, you know, if if we're reading the history of this year, 10 years, 10 years down the road, people aren't going to really be talking about the Red Sox. They're going to be talking about the Astros and the Red Sox are just going to be a footnote. So I think from that perspective, it's kind of a joke as well because the Red Sox aren't even really a consideration in all of this, even though they cheated. And I'm sure other teams cheated as well along the way. They're just not being caught because regardless is another point, but regardless, the commissioner of baseball, Rod Manfred, he is representing the teams. He's representing the owners. He's in the corner of the owners, as with every commissioner um, in in uh, professional sports. I just listened to the 30 for 30 ESPN podcast the other week, and they had a series, I guess it was last year, on Don Sterling and the tape of him uh, making racist comments. And he was the owner of the LA Clippers and kind of painting the picture of Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, uh, being very, you know, progressive and being at the corner of the players in that situation, which was weird because commissioners are supposed to be for the owners. They are quite actually, and like, if you look at the contracts and stuff, they're representing the owners in this situation. So that's a big problem in this because there's no incentive really for Rob Manfred besides public opinion to put down harsh punishments because he's supposed to be doing what is best for the owners. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you, you, you were spot on, like you said, how Boston was tech pretty much getting away with this and Houston will forever be tarnished or at least tarnished for um, a long, long time. And we've talked about it so many times and actually first, I think this is the first time we've gotten Jacob's opinion on this whole Astros um, mm-hmm. mess. But the one thing I wanted to ask you guys was, um, do you think Cora and Hinch or even Lunau do you think after their suspensions are up, whether it's or even two years down the road, do you think they get back in hmm. baseball? Uh, honestly, I kind of, I don't know. I I do think that this is not the end of their career, or I don't think it's the end of their career. I think that they will get a job somewhere. However, I don't know. I don't think it'll be a manager. However, you know, maybe somewhere in the minors and player development or somewhere somebody's willing to have them because I mean they were World Series managers whether they were legitimate winners or not that's a different story but they do in a way bring some type of expertise I guess so I think you know they could get another job uh, if I'm wrong then well then I guess that that's tough for them but um, <laughs> I do kind of think that they will get at least something down the road, but I don't think it'll be anything close to as good as what they had before this whole thing blew up. Yeah, I think that hits it spot on. Like, even, like, if we ignore all this cheating stuff, they still were accomplished. They still, even if they weren't stealing signs, I think they would have at least made it to the postseason um, in 2017. They still kind of rebuilt a team that was, you know, really bad at the time and made it into a perennial contender and one of the best teams in Major League Baseball, regardless of the stealing. So they are very talented at what they do. At the same time, the the public pressure, if you decide to hire one of these guys as either your manager or your general manager will be enormous. So like Jacob said, I don't think they'll ever get to the point of being a general manager or being a manager again, but you know, they might be director of player development or um, uh, director of player personnel in Latin America, or, you know, one of those behind the scenes roles that we don't talk about often, but they could still contribute to a team and, and not have any influence over cheating on the field. And just last thing, just remember everyone, be sure to check the home and away splits for Jose Altuve and others. Just just an honorable mention to their away <laughs> numbers. It certainly... We did a uh, MLB The Show little tournament between Jacob and Bryson. Uh-oh. The home numbers did <laughs> not help Jacob. 
He was playing as a Houston Astros against Bryson as a Blue Jays. And what was the final score? It was like 19 to 6 for Bryson. I was in the 20s. I was in the 20s. Um, <laughs> like, you know, I, we're, we have a video that might be edited and we might reveal it or yeah. show it to you guys. But it was a very sloppy start. <laughs> uh, I think Jacob committed six errors. And, you know, he, he freaked me out a little bit in the bottom half of the first. He had a grand slam with Yuli Gurriel. But I would say after that, that was pretty much a Cinderella moment because from there it just went downhill from errors to base running mishaps. Jake, I don't know if you want to comment, but this, like, I don't know if you want to embarrass yourself even more, but go ahead. <laughs> no, I just, see, the thing is, is I have not played the show. In, okay, here we go. I, God, it's probably been almost a year since I've played any version of the show. Um, so it took me a bit of time to get used to the settings and the, like the, the errors were, it wasn't because I'm bad, it's just because I didn't realize you had to hold the, I think it was the X button until it got to, <laughs> to like, the green. green, yeah, to the green, <laughs> so I was just holding it because the last time I played, you just had to hold it and then yeah. the longer you held it, the harder your player threw wow. it, so it was, just, it was a bit of an adjustment, I, I mainly just <laughs> run uh, games on the Switch, so I... <laughs> my shaky, God. But, um, I'll come back a little the, the one conclusion we can make is you didn't have any trash cans so there you go <laughs> yeah. now I, I kind of you had a bit of an advantage being Houston regardless at home but the mm-hmm. trash cans would have summed it up so we you know what I'll, I'll give you that and maybe one day down the road we can do it again and maybe I can give you more time to figure your, figure figure it out <laughs> to, to say the least yeah regardless uh, Bryson did hit Jacob with a few pitches, so I was happy. I wasn't playing because I don't have a PS4, but I was happy. Um, okay, I guess we should move on to the three-state plan now that's being considered by Major League Baseball. So first, we heard of the Arizona plan, which was playing all of the games in Arizona in the uh, minor league and spring training stadiums there. And then we heard of the two-state plan with Arizona and Florida being considered because you have, you know, three major league parks total in, in consideration then, plus the all the spring training homes. And then now we're hearing about a three-state plan Great. with teams split evenly between Arizona, Florida, and Texas, which would put <laughs> five major league stadiums in play, plus 30 spring training affiliates, plus countless of minor league teams. So lots of stadiums, but also I've... I don't know why they just keep dividing it. Like, next we're going to hear they're going to be trying to play in, I don't know, upstate New York or something. Like, I don't I don't get why, if you're, if you can, if you think you can quarantine all the players to begin with, what does it help you to split them up between three different locations? Yeah, to, to start this off, it's it's an odd number as well. It's three, it's three yeah. states, and... You know, to, just to touch back on the Astros, we're going to see lots of games at Minute Maid Park then. And, of course, the yeah. Texas Rangers, like them or not, Blue Jays fans, they have a beautiful new ballpark that will be, mm-hmm. you know, was supposed to be ready this year. And it is ready. It just there's no games. So the one thing that you have to look at this is, you know, I think, Mark, when we when I first mentioned this whole idea to you, it was weeks ago about, uh, I think it was an, an NBA analyst. I remember mentioning it to you, how they would have to be, you know, centralized in one area. You yeah. said right away, how is it going to work? in one city. And then of course, clearly you were right as you know, teams are starting to figure out or the leagues are starting to figure out that you need to have different bubbles. And it looks like this is starting to expand. And just to give a mention too to the NHL, uh, they're also expanding their proposals. They're, what they want to do is have a four, four teams, four NHL teams host, like a, a hub city uh, they want the, to host. So there's four divisions in hockey uh, one division from or one team from each division would host. So it's, if you if you really connect the dots, it's pretty similar to what the MLB plan is, uh, except it's just going to be one team from each division. I don't know how it'll work in three states for baseball, and just because their standings are a little bit different um, than hockey's in terms of how many teams are in each division. So that's going to be another interesting part. And um, you, you know, I guess again, we we don't know too much about these pro- uh, these proposals. We do but the one thing we do know is this is one out of a hundred plans they have. We know they've mulled every single option, and like you said, it started with Florida, then the Arizona, and then the to um, to Texas. But if you really think about it, it's only addition an additional two ballparks when adding the state of Texas and Minute Maid Park, and um, the new stadium in Texas. I don't know its name, but that's an extra two ballparks. So I guess it expands it a little bit. It helps it a little a little bit, but 
it's one thing to, you know, just completely expand. Who knows if there's going to be a four state plan that comes. Um, it's something, you know, I, I guess you can't rule it out. It's something that keeps um, expanding and who knows how long it'll take for this to even get underway. Again, you need the, um, the medical professionals to, you know, help you in this. And the one thing I wanted to top it off with before you guys start talking is uh, we, we know the larger rosters or expanded rosters are probably going to happen. And um, the Dodgers manager, Dave Roberts, actually said that he wants 35 to 40 players at any point, which is a topic for discussion here. And, of course, the legendary Scott Boris is coming out now and saying that his all of his players, every single one of his clients, are willing to be isolated for 30 days uh, away from family. So pretty much what you need to do is you need to isolate teams uh, for a few weeks before you start working out because you, you they need to be all quarantined together. That's how this is supposedly going to work. So that's one thing. There's a lot of stuff going on here. But, you know, a three-state plan, I guess, you know, you again, you got to keep um, crediting baseball and other leagues for trying to do this but uh it'll be interesting to see you know why texas was involved maybe they have lower cases of covid-19 i'm not too sure but it's uh, something very interesting yeah see one of the things that is interesting to me is that they want to pick florida out of all three i mean out of any state i mean i guess it's because it of the uh, spring training facilities yeah yeah no i was gonna say i get that part but I think one of the biggest issues is I read, I think a couple of days ago, Florida started opening a bunch of their beaches. <laughs> oh my God. And yeah. Yeah. That's not were, good. You know, getting, those are racking up a lot of people. And I think that's not necessarily the place that you want to have players. And if you want to isolate them, then that's fine. You know, if they're separated from the rest of the crowd in Florida, then I kind of don't see a problem with it, but I just don't see it as very, as a very smart thing to do just from a full perspective to have all these people roaming around a city or a state without a, a vaccine for this virus and, and basically adding a whole bunch of other baseball teams filled with uh, players, managers, all the staff, you know, all the people that got to work to run the games. I just, I don't know if that's necessarily the best thing to do because, you know, say somebody were to get sick in any of those teams then you know they have the potential to pass it on to everybody that they come in contact with and they're in close contact with a lot of players and a lot of people during games so just i feel like it could kind of mess up the healthcare system in a way just having all those extra people there that normally wouldn't be there um but yeah like you both you got you guys said kudos to the league for trying to work this out I'm not against it, honestly. Like I, I did say that Florida's maybe not the best idea, but I'm not against them wanting to think of something in order to get baseball back because I, I think I can speak for a lot of people. It's very boring without it, and just I think it's great. You know, as long as it's done in the right way, and I think it will be very tough to do it in a way that keeps everybody safe. But if they are able to do that, then I mean, I'm not against it. I can, I'm excited to see that happen. Yeah, I mean, kudos to them for trying to figure out every possible way to get baseball to be played. And Rob Manfred, as reported by uh, Jeff Passan of ESPN, has said that he is fully expecting to play baseball this season, whether that's just you know for PR reasons he's saying that or whether he's actually thinking that. But as you mentioned, there are hundreds of plans bouncing around. It's good to see that they're legitimately trying to make an effort to get baseball on the field. Um, just to kind of explain the rationale of the three-state plan here, um, ideally because they are all covered stadiums. You mentioned the new stadium in uh, uh, for the Rangers. I think it's called it's Globe Life. I don't know Globe whether field, it's Parker maybe. Field. Yeah, I think it's yeah Globe Life Field. Um, that's I believe it's going to be have a retractable roof if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And then Minute Maid Park has a retractable roof. And then as we know, Tropicana Field is closed. Um, the Marlins Park, which name escapes me right now, that's closed or retractable. And then Chase uh, Field, in uh, <laughs> messing up all these names in Arizona, it was all is right, closed. Yeah. So. So all these stadiums have the ability to be played rain or shine, you know, middle of the 40-degree summer in Arizona or whatever. So I think that's one of the reasons why they want to play with closed stadiums. Another reason 
um, that people are speculating is playing into this is that the Texas governor, Greg Abbott, and the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, we mentioned opening the beaches in Florida. They're both trying to open up their states early, and Greg Abbott has kind of courted the uh, NASCAR to, you know, do um, races in Texas to get things going again. And Florida has, I believe, been hosting WWE matchups. Um, so both these states are kind of open to playing sports already, How whether you consider NASCAR a sport and whether you consider WWE a sport. But they're already considering it. So I think that's part of the reason why these two states are kind of being added to be in consideration. But And you mentioned the NHL plan. I did hear a little bit about that. Apparently, New Hampshire, Manchester is the biggest city in New Hampshire, which is where I live. It's about half an hour north of me. And it's actually where the New Hampshire Fisher Cats play, the AA New Hampshire Fisher Cats for the Blue Jays. And apparently, there's um, SNHU Arena in Manchester, and they're talking about playing NHL games there. It's totally wild. The, The extent of which things have kind of like fractured off of reality is insane. But... Yeah, I appreciate that MLB is trying to figure out every possible way to do this. As we have been saying constantly, it is very hard to do effectively. And if they thought they could do it effectively already, they would have started quarantining players already. And they wouldn't keep throwing ideas out of there. So... Um, yeah, it's, uh, you mentioned the 30 to 40 man roster. I want to talk, I had not heard that. Mm. That is insane. Uh, but it could work because if you're going to be playing double headers and you need those players and you know, it's not totally out of the ordinary because we have expanded rosters in September. So it could work. Exactly. It could work. And Dave Roberts was just saying too, with, you know, pitchers getting back into, uh, their groove, the game shape and for players, you know. And for excessive doubleheaders that are expected to happen, because, of course, we know that baseball wants to make up as many games as possible, it's something that, you know, will happen. We just, you don't know how many, you know, how many extra roster spots there will be. And if Dave Roberts is coming out here saying 35 to 40, pretty much a spring training roster is what he's suggesting. Um, I guess that's something that if all the league, you know, if, if everyone believes that that's the amount of numbers that you need to to start things off, I guess you have no choice. And hopefully over the next few months, you can make baseball look uh, like its normal self, maybe start reducing the numbers slowly, not not um, by a big amount, but definitely slowly. And um, the one thing I wanted to mention too is another baseball league in Korea, or sorry, the KBO in Korea is uh, set to start the regular season May 5th, so that's good news. Um, you know, it, it's not a bad idea for, you know, ESPN or North America uh, news sites or TV ch- stations to start wa- televising these games because I would for sure watch it just because it's it's baseball regardless if I've ever watched it or not. And um, yeah, the one other thing I wanted to ask you guys is these this three-state plan is something that would start the season off and Paul DeYoung on the Cardinals came out and said that this three-state plan would need to be trans- transitioned eventually due to the summer heat. So pretty much what he's saying is you start with a three-state plan but after a certain amount of time, he wants teams to, or he's suggesting that teams go back to their regular host cities because of the summer heat. So, Mark, you mentioned the the stadiums that they're going to be using, or the, the five major league stadiums you mentioned uh, that have the retractable roofs and domes. But the one thing that, you know, outnumbers the MLB stadiums is the spring training stadiums that you have in Arizona and Florida. And all of those are, are of course, op- um, there's no roof, so it's all outdoors. And it... I've never been to Arizona, but everybody knows Arizona can get re- really hot in the summer, very humid, especially, uh, and Florida can too. And of course, Texas, but Texas would just be those, uh, the two major league stadiums. So do you guys think that, you know, if all goes, if all goes well, or do you think transitioning back to home stadiums is something that could possibly be done? Or do you think that just staying with the three state plan and players pretty much, you know, I want, I would say, you know, gut, gut it out and get through it playing in humid, uh, weather, uh, all summer is something that needs to be done. I'm going to be honest, I don't think that they really can uh, put everybody back in their home cities until there is a vaccine for the virus, just because you don't you want to limit the amount of travel that people are going through until it's safe to do so. Because like I mentioned earlier, if one player or one member of a organization were to get this virus, then they could easily pass it on to the entire team or an opposing team and 
then you know the whole quarantine would just be for nothing because then you have everybody sick again. Um, so I think honestly, the best thing to do is to isolate everybody until there's a virus. And one thing I do want to kind of call who was that? You said Paul DeYoung. Yeah. And is I'm I'm not gonna say that it won't get hot in the summer. And I've been to Texas and it is brutal in the thick of the summer. But I, I feel like I'm not gonna say that he doesn't have a right to complain about the heat, but I feel like you know baseball players or athletes should be the last ones complaining about the work conditions, just because you know they're getting paid so much, they're still getting paid even though they're not working. And you know, just a little bit of perspective, knowing that you know there's some people working 12 to 24 hour days in an ICU in order to treat people. It just in a way, it kind of annoys me just to hear people that have it so much better than them complaining because, yeah, the heat sucks, but there are ways around it, and I just don't think, you know, complaining about it is really a good move. Uh, maybe not everyone will agree with me on that, but I just, I don't know, that's what I think. You know, it's just you can't really complain that much when you put things into perspective on how good of a life you have as an athlete compared to what other people have at this time. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't really think you can compare the two because obviously like professional sports players have it so much better than anyone else. At least if you're in the, at the top levels in the NFL, NBA, MLB, um, Although on the, the kind of weather type thing, like I went to Arizona, uh, I guess it was last summer, um, and I did a lot of hiking, um, but it does, it is horribly hot. I went there in August and, uh, I went there with my cousins and we went on a hike. It's called, I think it's called, uh, Devil's Bridge in Sedona, Arizona. It's beautiful. You can look up pictures of it, but it's, it's only like a two mile hike from the parking lot to the Devil's Bridge. It's kind of like a I don't know how to describe it. Look up a picture of it. Anyways, it's only two miles. And by the time we got back to our car, like my cousin had almost passed out. She'll kill me for saying that, but she had like almost passed out because it was just so hot and it was such a short hike, but it was so much worse than we expected. So yeah, playing full year baseball in Arizona, I don't know if that's worth it. But again, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about in previous podcasts. I don't know why they're obsessed with Arizona. Obviously not so much anymore because they're talking about Texas and Florida, but they could build 15 baseball fields in the middle of Utah or Wyoming or Montana in the middle of nowhere, 15 baseball fields. You just roll out the turf. You're done. It takes, I don't know, 15 days to build that many fields. And of course you need the hotels to house players, but besides that you're done. You can play games in good weather on perfectly normal fields, I don't get why these games have to be in Arizona where we know the weather conditions are not ideal for baseball. Mm -hmm. The only thing I could say maybe uh, in defense of the Arizona plan is maybe because, of course, you need the hotels, like you said, Mm -hmm. but maybe um, the league is also looking at having, you know, the proper clubhouses or the proper uh, practice Mm -hmm. or spring or training facilities for players. That's the only really thing I can think of is, is why they're, part of or they're really obsessed with Arizona, Florida and Texas now is just because, you know, uh, of course the ballparks could be done, but uh, the actual facilities and training facilities, maybe the actual comfort for the players. um, Maybe that's the only thing I can suggest. I have no idea. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we will hear more details about this as plans develop and more plans come out and we'll be back here probably next week talking about a new idea, but I guess we can move on to the third topic for today. So the NFL draft was this week. It was, I guess it was last night, was it? Or was it the night before? Or is it multiple nights? I don't know. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, so the first two rounds were the, the past two nights. And then today, the or today, uh, it may have wrapped up today, or there was a, another round today. But anyways, the um, the what happened today was uh, it happened during noon, but the first two rounds were the previous two okay. nights. So multiple okay. days. Well, you can see how much I know about football. But uh, <laughs> the point of this conversation is not to talk about the football side of it, but talk about the, the kind of logistics in it because MLB's draft is supposed to be coming up. I think the agreement they signed with the Players Association said they could move it to July. Um, 
but it's still going to come up. It still may be virtual. We don't know what's going to happen. What did you guys, I guess, Bryson, if you watched it, what did you think about the, the kind of presentation of it? Do you think it's a feasible way of doing things for Major League Baseball in the future? Uh, I absolutely think it was feasible. Um, you know, for it happening in the future, I'm not sure anybody would really want it to happen just because, you know, the actual event of, you know, it's different than the baseball one, but the actual event uh, for the NFL and the others, uh, some other leagues is, you know, the fans being there, uh, fans in the actual building, um, a crowd booing the commissioner, in this case would be Roger Goodell, <laughs> because that's something that's classic. But in in this case, with the current circumstances, um, I give the NFL full credit for what they did. It definitely is feasible uh, if you have to. And of course, you know, you're ex- you're not expecting a perfect broadcast. Sure, there's going to be some errors and some miscommunications, which I experienced and everyone experienced who watched um, throughout the past two days. And of course, that's something you expect. But the fact that they put on this uh, show or this event for people ar- around the world or around uh, North America was truly, truly something special. Uh, A, because it was pretty much the first live sporting event we've seen uh, in a month. It's something that we've actually seen that's live. And the NFL draft is taken very seriously by, you know, huge football fans. And the ratings-wise, once again, you know, I mentioned a few weeks ago, and we just touched on it uh, last topic about uh, WWE WrestleMania, how they had a record of social media clicks. And for the NFL, they topped, you know, they set a massive record. I don't have the number in front of me again, but, you know, it was over 10 million people who watched this. And uh, baseball's coming up with their draft, and I'm sure they're going to have to do it virtually. You know, it's different than uh, how the NFL does it, where it's kind of more in an isolated area. So maybe it, they could get away with it, but based off of safety concerns and, you know, what's accepted now and what should be expected by people to so- socially distance, uh, they definitely probably would do a virtual draft. And of course, the NHL is also in a, or the NHL and the NBA will probably, or we're watching that very closely because they have a similar atmosphere to the NFL draft. So that's something they're 100% going to do. It's going to be a virtual draft. And just to compare it, it's pretty much a fantasy draft where you're all at home. And, you know, I don't know if you saw, but the one thing that I really enjoyed the most compared to a live event draft where it's in front of buildings is the, uh, quote, war rooms that GMs and coaches built in their house. Um, These GMs were setting up computers everywhere, you know, on Skype and FaceTime calls with scouting departments, their head coach. Um, you know, the GM of the uh, Seattle Seahawks said that he knocked down a whole wall in his house to put up pretty much <laughs> five different types of screens, draft boards everywhere. He had his <laughs> wife calling in the picks from a $10 landline. So it's something that I really enjoyed. That was the one thing I really enjoyed. It was seeing the war rooms, you know, the, the houses, um, just the setup they had. But, you know, baseball, football, or sorry, baseball, basketball, and hockey, regardless of how they handle the draft, they're going to be doing a virtual draft, and they can take away a lot from this and make a lot of improvements based off what they saw. So it was something that was uh, really cool based off the current circumstances that were done. The commissioner was calling the draft in his basement, announcing the picks, and then he got (laughs) so bored by the way he looked by round three or four that he was calling it on his couch or on his chair. I don't (laughs) know if you saw that. I saw that. So he looked pretty tired from it, but kudos to everyone again, who was involved with this. I don't know if you guys saw it or Jacob, you saw it, but you know, this is something that will happen for these sports leagues. And it's something that they can make lots of improvements on from what they experienced, but a massive well done by the, uh, the NFL. Yeah. See, I agree with you. I I personally didn't watch it. I'm not really that much of a football fan, Uh, but yeah, good on them. You know, I think one of the biggest things that we can do right now is try to keep some normal, normalcy in our lives and if you know the leagues keeping their drafts going is you know something that they can do then that's awesome I mean it is kind of funny to think of you know these professional uh, basically owners of a league if you will and owners of teams and scouts and everybody basically just communicating from their basement and it it honestly it it is kind of funny to think about the whole work from home atmosphere Mm -hmm. where you know it's supposed to be this big, huge event, and you know, halfway through it, you're just chilling on your couch as it goes on. <laughs> but yeah, I, good on the NFL. It, I think baseball might have probably the easiest time just because they don't do it in a full stadium, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so you know, it's easier for them because it's not like they have to 
you know, helps a lot of people regardless. But yeah, I think it will be kind of what's expected for the rest of the year in terms of drafting. And yeah, I mean, I'm I'm actually pretty excited to see how the rest of the leagues kind of follow through after seeing what the NFL was able to do. Yeah. It was pretty impressive uh, from the sounds of it from you guys. Um, I did see like some snippets of it on social media. Like you mentioned the picture of the people in their war rooms and Roger Goodell standing in like a suit jacket when he was announcing the first picks and then lying down in his uh, his <laughs> couch there when he was announcing the other picks. It was really funny and it was kind of provided some humanity to all this, which is nice. Out of people we don't normally see humanity from, I saw. Uh, Bill Belichick, yeah, his, yeah, his, dog. his dog was, <laughs> I guess he trained his dog to sit on his chair. So when the cam- the camera went to his war room, it was just his dog sitting there. Anyways, just like funny glimpses of humanity. And then there was a, was it the Kansas City Chiefs GM or head coach who's, they posted a picture of his war room and it was like, it looked like a billion dollar home and he had like his um you could see like his pool and his field and it was like okay that was not a touch of humanity it made me think that he was you know what i think uh speaking of arizona i believe what you're mentioning is the arizona coach's house so uh yeah you gotta love arizona (laughs) yeah but yeah just touches a personality that we don't normally see that was kind of unique and and made it fun to follow and uh, hopefully, as we've said, baseball can learn from this experience, and baseball certainly has it easier off because it's not sort of an event. I saw people um, talking on Twitter about how they were treating this like it was a Super Bowl and getting all excited for it, whereas baseball, it's like no one cares about the baseball draft, <laughs> let's be honest. like It doesn't really matter that much. You can draft someone first pick, first overall, and like there's a good chance they will never make it to the majors. Yeah. like. The baseball draft doesn't matter as nearly as much, but um, certainly a good prototype to base things off of. Um, I guess the last topic for today is the last dance. It's not baseball, but apparently we're not talking about baseball that much this podcast. <laughs> um, it's about Michael Jordan. It's about his 19... It's a 1997-1998 season with the Chicago Bulls when they were trying to three-peat. Um, again, speaking as a number one baseball fan... Number two, all other sports fan. I very much enjoy watching this. Even if you don't care about basketball, it is a great series to watch just for the personalities and the dynamics and the behind-the-scenes look and kind of the the universal feeling of being together in sport and watching something that doesn't really change whether you're watching any sport, but I highly recommend watching this documentary. Yeah, uh, a tremendous, tremendous well done again. Uh, by this documentary and this documentary wasn't supposed to air for another few months but based off the circumstances mm-hmm. they pushed it up ESPN did and now after or the next night it's uh, airing on Netflix so two episodes I believe are released uh, each week and what a, a crazy mm-hmm. crazy uh, do- start to the documentary from my opinion now Jacob I don't know how much you watch or you from what I'm I know you didn't watch much so just try and understand <laughs> as much as I can or you can hear from these references uh, these name references so you know, the, the, the few takeaways I had was Jerry Krause, um, the mm-hmm. GM who wanted to blow up a team who was going to three-peat again, something that you don't see and something that if that happened in today's age, it would be absolutely ripped on on social media to the extent. Now, he luckily, he didn't re, uh, blow up that team, but he wanted to, and it happened the next year. Um, but to remember, he did build the team to begin with, but what a, um, um, a rocky ending to you know, that dynasty in terms of for his sake or for his career, um, you know, it pretty much the, the Bulls team going into that year felt that they needed to prove something after repeating uh, because their GM wanted to blow their team up uh, because they were all <laughs> going to be free agents and uh, so on. So they that was really cool to see. And even with head coach Phil Jackson, they only gave him one year, a one-year deal left um, to coach that team before they said, you're not coming back. And um, really cool to see, you know, the impact that Michael Jordan had. I, you know, I wasn't alive for Michael Jordan's playing career. So, you know, pretty much glimpses of highlights is all I get. And seeing behind the scenes of a documentary is something that's really cool. And, uh, of course, the, the, the next takeaway, or the last takeaway, was Scottie Pippen, who arguably yeah. signed the worst contract in professional sports because 
he was second on their team in everything pretty much except for one category where he was first. And he ended up being the 122nd or something like that, highest player in the league, who was mm-hmm. barely making $2 million a year, who was arguably worth just as much or just as uh, a few less than Michael Jordan, where Michael Jordan was making almost $30 million a year. But Scottie Pippen's uh, reasoning for signing that contract was he felt like he needed um, long-term protection to provide for his family. And of course, as we see in the, the documentary, he's has like, he has a family of like 12 people. So he has a massive family. Um, you know, a few people who, you know, had, um, some health issues. So, you know, it's a, a risk that he took, but something that didn't pay out for him. He, he did get paid, but it wasn't by the bulls. Uh, he was then traded to, I believe Houston and for the baseball side of it, uh, it was really cool to see. I don't know if you guys saw, but the former Oakland athletics GM, um, Sandy Alderson came out and said that the year Michael Jordan retired, uh, the Oakland A's actually offered him an MLB contract in 1994 before uh, the White Sox pretty much turned that down. Or, you know, the, there was some involvement where the White Sox um, blocked it from happening. Or, so I don't know the whole story. But that would have been really cool to see Michael Jordan in the MLB right away. You know, as much as he wasn't a very good baseball player to begin with, just to mention his hitting line with the AA affiliate in Chicago was 202 batting average, a 289 on base percentage. And a 266 slugging percentage with three homers, 51 RBIs, 30 steals, and struck out 114 times in over 127 games. So definitely baseball was definitely not his profession. But just to see, you know, it would have been really cool to see Michael Jordan go right to the big leagues just because of his status and, you know, on his resume. But overall, a really cool documentary. Only two episodes finished from the day we're recording. There's supposed to be 10. So very excited to see what the rest brings. Yeah, see, actually, I haven't watched any of the episodes and I know, you know, I probably should, honestly, because yeah, everybody sure. seems to be you talking gotta, about it. I think you gotta. I was actually, like, just on Netflix before we were starting to record this. I think it's, like, number seven in Canada or something. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but it was, like, in top ten in Canada. So, you know, I probably should watch it. I think I will, hopefully this week, if my teachers are nice. What else are you doing? Because you don't even fix your computer. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> He's training in yeah, MLB the show. Uh, it's mainly <laughs> yeah, he is training, MLB the show. No, I I don't know. I just I have two dogs and one of them's a puppy, so I gotta like make sure they don't go to the bathroom all over my house. Oh my goodness! <laughs> playing guitar and whatnot, but yeah, I, I definitely do want to try and watch that because it does sound interesting. It's amazing. You have to, and everyone listening, if you haven't watched it, you have to. There's just like such a feeling that. Like, you're watching the best basketball player ever, maybe the best athlete ever to walk the face of the planet. I mean, obviously, there are huge other names, Babe Ruth, Muhammad Ali, but he is one of the best sport players ever to walk the face of the planet, and you are seeing him, you know, up close and personal, and you get the full immensity of the moment watching it. It's kind of incredible, and you don't want to miss it. Uh, you got to watch it, even if you don't like basketball. Um, but I think that wraps up our conversation for today. Lots of stuff to talk about, finally. Finally, something happened last week. Um, but thank you to everyone who listened, and thanks for joining us again. If you have an idea for us to talk about on this podcast, please DM it to me, 360 Blue Jay News, on Instagram. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to rate and review us on iTunes. It helps us a lot. All right, we'll catch you next week.